and welcome to For All Mumkind, the podcast, a podcast by mums for mums. My name is Pamela and in each episode I sit down and chat with a mum about motherhood, the ups and downs and everything in between. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, owner of My Cotton Drawer, the eco-sustainable store. She's a mum to Frankie, Jack and Kenny. It's Eva MacDonald. Hi Pamela, thanks for having me. Welcome Eva, how are you doing? Good, very good. So, Frankie, Jack and Kenny, three boys. Busy, yeah, busy house. Busy house, yeah, a very male-dominated house. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, I suppose where it's definitely male-dominated is at the weekends or taken over by JA. <laughs> it wouldn't really be my kind of thing, but, you know, dad is all into it, has the three boys going out. So, um, yeah, very male-dominated. I'd be more into the, you know, the horses and, you know, just, you know. And you haven't swayed any of them over no, yet? No, not really. They, um... <clears throat> They, they just don't really, you know, it, it hasn't grabbed them at all, you know, so <clears throat> it's not something I'm going to push. So, yeah. Um, and it's also nice to have something for my time as this well. Is true. So, yeah. So I don't want to be dragging the kids with me when it's, I'm having my kind of error to myself, you know. So are you found on the sidelines on a Saturday? Um, yeah, if I can get away with it, I won't be. But yeah, usually I am. Um, because of course, with them that being all different ages, yes. you would have one playing a match in one place and another one you know, doing training in another area. So you don't get away with, very rarely would they be in the same location. So yeah. I don't get my Saturday sleep in at all. And so is Frankie, he's two. So is he... Um, he hasn't started it yet, Spectator. but he's definitely, yeah, he runs around <laughs> with the hurl and he's, you know, bashing people and um, he's, he likes to kind of, he likes to go and he likes to participate, but he's obviously not actually participating, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, so I don't know when he starts now at probably about four. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to manage the three different ages for the three different, <laughs> you know, matches or that. But anyway, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And yeah, so Kenny is eight and Jack is five. So they're all actually quite different stages in their yeah. kind of development and then their emotional growth and in school. So what's that like, you know, managing each of their timetables and I suppose their needs? Um, well, I suppose the timetables are probably the hardest bit. Um, for their needs, it's actually your second child just grows up so much quicker. So what, you know, what Kenny was doing at five is so different to what Jack is doing now at five. So Jack at five, he's like a Pokemon expert. He's, you know, all these things that Kenny had no interest in at five. Yeah. But because Kenny's, Jack sees Kenny doing this um, and, you know, he's he, like, he's skipped a couple of years almost, you know, which is sad to kind of see, but I guess that's just the what happens when you have like an older sibling. Yeah. So emotionally, they're probably almost closer in age than the three-year age gap. But in terms of timetable, that's where it gets really hard. So um, it, <clears throat> so for example, um, Frankie has just started pre Montessori um, in okay. January, which is amazing. You think, oh yeah, loads of free time to myself. But um, actually, what happens is I have to collect Frankie at twelve, I have to collect Jack at half one, and I have to collect Kenny at half two. And I live far enough away from the school that there's actually no point in me going home. Yeah. So I'm literally in the car waiting from half eleven until three every day. So, um, yeah, so that's the bit where you're like literally half my life is spent in the car. Um, now, the beauty of obviously having iPads and phones, like I can do a lot of work from the car. Yeah. Um, so if I go, to, if it's a nice day, I would maybe kill an hour between the two of the collections, um, you know, walk down to a park and have the kids running around and I would be literally on my iPad answering, answering queries or things like that. Um, but yeah, most of my life spent in the car with an iPad, iPad in one hand and an iPhone in the other hand and 
that's yeah, yeah that's that's life at the moment, you know. I um, often see them. You see mums like that waiting outside her dad's outside the school, and they, you know they've been sitting there for a while. It's not just like a quick drop off. Um, but there was one day myself and my husband. We must have been bought off during the day, or it was the summertime. We were driving past the school, and it must have been like to say either the twelve o'clock or the two o'clocks. He was like, "Oh, the traffic's really bad. What's going on?" I was like, "Sure, school's finished." He was like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, it's it's probably the first you know lot leaving," um, and he couldn't. He was like, "But how does that work?" And I was like, "Welcome to the reality of having yeah, children." Yeah, it's even um, so. Like in, I find it's almost like a battle um, outside because the school that my children go to, um, there's no parking. So oh, sure, there's parking in none of them. It's yeah, ridiculous. But the um, there's actually um, there's one really small parking place um, that you get you know a couple of cars into, and if you don't, if you're not there really early, it actually suits me because I'm. I've kind of committed to not going home between the collections yeah. anyway so I am always early um, but before um, the other option is to park down this estate and climb over this really big wall Oh my God. and so when I was nine months pregnant I was people were like looking at me and the bus used to stop just across from the wall and people used to be looking at going look at this absolutely ginormous woman <laughs> heavily pregnant woman trying to climb over a wall um, and this is you know and people are like what are you doing I'm like well it's it'd be like a 20 minute walk to an actual parking space but this these you know yeah. these this is a five minute walk and a big wall to climb over so um yeah that's the, the challenges of a school run it's that's not mad, totally straightforward yeah yeah so to bring you back then to like the newborn stage so you've gone through that phase three times now mm-hmm. I suppose in my naivety I would think that oh yeah you know, you've done one newborn stage, you're going to learn from it and the second one would be so much easier and the third one, then you must be doing it, you know, second nature. I do think it's, now you're not going to have the same baby three times. Um, Now, having said that, my third baby was looked so like my first baby and I got a really? little bit freaked out driving home from the hospital because he was in the same clothes as well. But um, from an actual baby perspective, it's easier for you because you are going to be less panicky. Like I found, if I think back to the things that I brought my baby to the doctor with, I'm actually embarrassed now. I'd say the doctor, you know, like mortifying some of the things that I went, but I was worried. I was genuinely worried, panicking. Yeah. Um, and those are things that, you are just going to be more relaxed about the next time. So I think <clears throat> in that respect, it's going to be an awful lot easier for, you know, any subsequent children, um, any subsequent newborns. You do kind of have it, you know, have have your act together a little bit better. But you can still get thrown um, a bit of a curveball. So my first baby, um, looking back, I guess he was fairly easy in terms of um, when he was breastfed. He didn't have... Um, he didn't like have colic or reflux or anything like that. Um, so when I was having my second baby, I was saying, you know, I'm going to breastfeed again. You know, I've been had been breastfeeding for years at that point. So I'm like, well, I'm a professional here at this. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. And um, so my baby was born with um, a really severe tongue tie. He absolutely couldn't latch. And I remember just sitting like, I've been doing this for years. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know. Yeah. Um, then he also had a really bad reflux. So I was like, my God, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with the baby with the reflux. And um, other, aside from that, everything else is fine. It's just the things that I thought would be 
the easiest bits yeah. were actually the bits that were the biggest challenge for me. Um, and then the third baby, yeah, you, you really know what you're doing at that point. And, um, and luckily the third baby, I had another kind of easier one in terms of no reflux or um, colic or anything like that. So, um, yeah, so definitely third was, third newborn phase was kind of easy again, you know. And then to bring you back to, so that's Jack with the tongue tie. Yeah. Um, did that get diagnosed early? Like with with your experience and seeing that there was a bad latch, did um, you kind of go, there's... <coughs> I need to look into this or? I would say um, if, yeah, if it had happened for my first baby, there would have been, I wouldn't have succeeded in breastfeeding at all. The only reason why I knew about breast, um, tongue ties was because I had already been to a lot of baby breastfeeding groups um, and actually prior to me ever having babies, I didn't know anything about tongue tie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jack's was so extreme that actually he basically uh, he came out and cried and the nurses went whoa he's got a tongue tie it was really um, it was a really significant one yeah. in terms of his, his tongue just looked totally lizard like as soon as um, as soon as he cried you know as soon as he was out yeah. um, but still it was funny the um, so the nurses in the hospital they said you know the midwives they said yeah he's tongue tied you, you know you're probably gonna um, want to get this sorted out and I went to um, a GP and he kind of said, oh, it's not really recommended to get the tongue tie done anymore. It's, you know, and I was like, honestly, if you saw my nipples, <laughs> you would know that there was a big necessity to get this, you know, sorted out. Yeah. And so I did get it sorted out and I was, you know, we never looked back. It Even was great. speech development. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, see, I think what had happened was I had actually delayed it myself because um, his tongue tie was very significant, but... Within a couple of days, it had torn itself, but it had torn itself to um, kind of midway. Okay. Um, so I thought to myself, oh, this is like resolving itself. Yeah. Um, and I was probably not having as much difficulty breastfeeding as yeah. maybe somebody who was doing it from the first time. But then um, it, it continued on The you know, the struggle did continue on for a while. So I finally did go and say, you know, I do need to get this done. Um, and when I went to... The, um, the specialist, I was kind of saying, oh, you know, well, it's kind of, it doesn't look that bad now because it kind of half tied itself. And she took one look and she said, that is as tongue tied as you can get, you know. So, um, yes, we got that resolved. Um, and definitely if he had been my first baby, it would have been just another failed breastfeeding mm-hmm. story because I just wouldn't have had the knowledge behind yeah. me or you know um, just having met so many other people because um, I suppose you don't really surround yourself with breastfeeders until you're trying to do it yourself yeah you know? completely um, so that was where I kind of got my knowledge was from other people and um, knew that look this, this is something that you know I really need to sort out kind of early days so yeah. Um, yeah so that was number two number two was he was actually the easiest baby in terms of sleeping really um, once I kept him upright because um, the reflux. Yeah. yeah. But he would sleep if you kind of had him propped up on a, a pillow, he would sleep. So um, he was actually a very easy baby aside from vomiting everywhere constantly <laughs> and um, bringing around, I virtually had to bring like a mop with me when I went to friends' houses and stuff. Um, but he, he grew out of that eventually. Yeah. Like, you know, so that was... It's um, such a phase, but when you're in it, you're, it probably feels never ending. I think actually, I'd almost say it's the opposite. Like the... <clears throat> When you're in it, you're so used to it that it seems almost normal. And it's only then, you know, years later and, you know, if one of my friends have, has a baby and the baby's like puke now, it wasn't even like a little bit of spit up. It was like, you know, massive projectile yeah. across the room kind of thing. And that was normal to me at the time because it happened a couple of times a day. And it's only 
when I visit my friend and her baby's doing that, I'm like, oh my God, how did I survive so long, you know, doing that and bringing like 10 muslins with me everywhere because mm-hmm. that's how much you'd, you know. Um, so I suppose when you're in it, it's almost seems like the norm. And it's so when you're looking back, you're like, that was a rough time. And, you know, I did pretty damn good to to kind of come out the other side in one piece, you know. Um, but yeah, it's all, such, it's all fleeting really at the end of the yeah. day, you know, it will, you know, while it seems like it's, lasting forever at the time you're going to blink your eyes and you know be sending them off to school you know, know. the the tongue tie Alice had tongue tie and like that you know the only time we'd heard the phrase tongue tie was when literally you know someone might say oh I got tongue tied in a meeting or I had a presentation so that you know wasn't a physical ailment yeah. kind of a, a thing and um, it was our lactation consultant that came and looked at her and was like oh yeah she's got a tongue tie and I remember telling like my family, you know, we're heading up to Clamel to get this tongue tie released. And I say they probably thought I was a bit mad. Do you know what I mean? Going, what is she doing? What is this about? You know, because again, it wasn't in our vocab. It wasn't something we knew. Yeah. It's I suppose it's one of those things that, and yeah, when you're in the circle of breastfeeding, you're aware of it. But as definitely like for me as a first time mom trying to breastfeed and getting the tongue tie, it was just you were like. What is, you know, it was just another hurdle. Yeah, it's another hurt as well. It's, you know, breastfeeding is, I find it painful anyway with, um, my first baby did have a good latch yeah. and I still find it very painful. Um, so then with my second baby with the terrible latch, it was very painful, like extremely painful. But I suppose as a first time mum, like you don't know, and they all say it's not supposed to be painful. But personally, I find that the first couple of days, like you're so raw anyway. Yeah. Um, and their little mouth is so tiny, they, they kind of have a hard job. But I think that for a first time mum, it's very hard to differentiate between what is normal yeah. and what isn't normal. Because um, I do remember nurses in the hospital saying to me for my first baby, oh, he's got an extant latch. And it was excruciating for me. But thankfully, you know, I suffered it out for a couple of days and it did definitely improve, you know. Um, so I suppose maybe there's just like a sensitivity there. You've never had that yeah. much kind of action there, you know. Yeah. For, you know and as well, like you saw the latch in the hospital. I remember <clears throat> asking the nurses numerous times going, is she definitely latched on? Is this definitely? And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's a great latch. It was a great latch, but she wasn't swallowing. Yeah. So it's pointless. Much, yeah. So it was pointless. Yeah, so we yeah. were there for hours thinking, oh yeah, she's feeding. And you're aware and she's like not gaining. Yeah. And not, yeah, yeah. And there was n- actually nothing happening at all. Um, so yeah, it's def- the, it's definitely a learning curve. It's And it's something I'm supposed to talk about a lot here. It's a skill that you just develop and you learn. So I did find going to like a, a antenatal breastfeeding class kind of, you know, you were making a connection with a lactation consultant yeah. as well. Um, but she just had great tips in advance. So you kind of had a bit of an awareness, even about just how to latch them on, how to hold them, all things that like... Like even for, I found when I... I mean, so I had my first baby in 2011. Now, actually, you can visibly notice that there are more breastfe- people breastfeeding yeah. now. But even back then, in 2011, I didn't know anybody personally who had breastfed. So I have had one cousin who I didn't see that often and I knew she breastfed and I had um, a friend who I didn't see that often and I knew she breastfed. But I actually was so alien to breastfeeding that I was I myself was uncomfortable around other people because it was just new to me. Like I had I had no friends or family that were breastfeeding and it was all new. So I actually had nobody 
it just seemed, you know, it just seemed so unnatural to me. And um, so that's why it was actually quite a surprise to me that it ended up being a success. And that was just kind of a bit of a, a good luck story. Um, but it's, yeah, you have to. So then as I kind of got into groups and stuff of, you know, um, baby groups and breastfeeding mums, it's you, you just gain so much knowledge from tips and knowledge that would yeah. never have occurred to me to my, myself and um, that other people would say. And you think, God, that actually it's such a straightforward answer that they're after giving me. And I would never have come up with that myself, you know. Um, but yeah, breastfeeding, it's, it's on the increase, thankfully. But yeah. yeah, you need to you need to be around people who have done it. And if you're not, you need to go and find those people, you know. Yeah, because there there's groups, plenty of groups out there. And in 2011, how did you feel about breastfeeding in public? Um, I was definitely very awkward about it. Um, I mean, now it's I'm completely different now, um, much to a lot of people's horror, probably. <laughs> but um, I suppose, now, weirdly enough, um, I would have been more uncomfortable breastfeeding in front of my own family. Yeah. I don't know why, rather than a stranger. I would, if I was on my own um, somewhere, I would probably be a lot more comfortable about it. Um, in situations like in a restaurant, I would have thought at the time, I would have thought, oh, this is... And I don't, I suppose it wouldn't even be for, you just, you, you worry that you might be annoying somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, I don't know, maybe if just because I can kind of, you know, after a while, when you're at the beginning, you're kind of, it's a big awkward kind of trying to get your boob into their or mouth and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, a little bit down the line, you can do a lot more discreetly and stuff. Yeah. And um, it's, um, I remember the first time actually um, where I realised that times were changing. I was in a, a local park, uh, Marley Park, um, in the baby uh, the playground and I was sitting down, I was feeding my baby and I looked around and there was five other mums breastfeeding at the same time. And that was the first time where I was like, actually, like breastfeeding mums were out num- at this one particular time, you yeah. know, were outnumbering just a- any other parents there. And it almost felt like like we were the ones that were, you know, um, in the right place, you know, and um, it didn't feel uncomfortable, didn't feel. And that was the first time I realised, you know, like you, I don't have to, you know, be embarrassed about doing it um, and then roll on a couple of years. It's, you know, it's all improving, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and I've actually never had a negative comment. And um, you do hear people saying that, you know, if you're feeding in a cafe or whatever on the Internet, you would hear people yeah. saying that they got disapproving, um, you know, looks and stuff. I've actually never had that. So, you know, maybe that's just another good look story that I have that it was only in my mind that people might be disproving, but actually nobody ever said anything negative towards me about it, you know? Yeah, I remember the first time I breastfed Alice, like myself and Ben went to a local, it's a really family-friendly cafe. It's called Yumi Cafe in Trilly and it's completely oriented to families. The menus, the staff, there's a play area. You go in and it's super noisy because it's just... Kids everywhere. Kids everywhere. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a safe environment. But you still... I still felt uncomfortable. So we kind of went to a table in the back and um, I was kind of giggling away at trying to get Alice to latch. I was like, oh, this is just mortifying. And the lady next to me turned to me. She's like, is this your first baby? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you know, she was, she just started, started talking to me about saying how she breastfed and she was a lot older than I was. And um, just, and she was like, you're doing really well, you know, well done for coming out and well done for breastfeeding. And she just broke the ice. Oh, really? Okay. And then you were like, oh, okay, it's okay. It's actually all fine. But yeah, yeah I, it's it's probably one of those memories I'll always have of just feeling really like, um, 
And I think once you do it once and everything yeah. goes, you know, it just breaks, it just breaks the ice. I think I as well, even um, like I found that you feel like everybody's looking, yeah. but quite the opposite. There's been a few times where I've been sitting there feeding my baby and people don't realise and they come up and they're trying to talk to your baby like oh look at the coochie coo kind of thing and you're like no, hang on a second like his mouth is full at the moment you know and um, it's only when they're you know they, they actually don't even notice then at that point so it's only in your head yeah. that everybody's kind of watching you totally. and stuff you know yeah and your pregnancies all boys so did you find each one was similar or as you progressed was it tougher on you um, <clears throat> my first um, pregnancy, I, I'm i one of these people where I don't, I can't say, in theory, my pregnancy was a healthy, straightforward pregnancy, but I felt miserable the whole time. I'm not a good pregnant person at all. Um, now, while I actually never physically vomited, I just felt nauseous for about four or five months. Then I get about a <clears throat> about a two week period where I feel good and then I get like really really extreme heartburn and um, I don't know if it's true about it being actually linked to hairy babies yeah. but all of my babies have been super hairy so really? yeah so um, but so that was my first so while I shouldn't really complain because I do know um, a lot of friends and stuff ha- have had like really troublesome pregnancies so sometimes I feel bad even saying that but like I'm just not a happy pregnant person it's I did find it t- find it tough Um so my first pregnancy, didn't know if I was having a boy or a girl. Um, I actually thought I was having a girl and had a boy. My second pregnancy was so like my first pregnancy that I knew the whole time. I didn't find out, but I was like, this is exactly like my first pregnancy. And I knew I was having a boy and I had a boy. Um, then for my third pregnancy, it was completely different. I was um, I was craving different things. I Whereas for... Um, my first two pregnancies, like I'm like, I just keep eating. I can't like I want burgers and, you know, really like just awful, awful things. I just want to eat the whole time. Um, and I think it's trying to like you're convincing yourself that if I eat, I might get rid of this heartburn. But obviously yeah. I was just making it worse. Um, but for my third pregnancy, I was craving like salads and I was like, oh, this is great, you know. <laughs> um, and I think um, really just healthy and I just wanted fruit and salad. So I thought, this is fantastic and it must be a girl. Um, and then I decided, you know, I couldn't, I was at the point where I wanted to either, you know, throw out or, you know, give away the boy clothes or do I hold on to yeah. them or what's the story? So I said, you know, for practicality reasons, I'm actually going to find out is there a boy or a girl because I don't want all of these clothes in the house if, you don't need if them. I don't need them. Yeah. So I found out that I was having another boy and I was like, oh, that's a shock now because I really <laughs> thought I was having a girl. But from that day my cravings changed and I was craving burgers again. And I was like, I was this real protein, stodgy, big, you know. And I was like, is this psychological? That, you know, I'm like, I'm having a boy. I have to have these big proteins. Yeah. (laughs) And from that day that I found out, I was, you know, it all went downhill and I started eating like, you know, all this kind of junk food again and and stuff. So um, the, but I suppose the actual... um, it, overall, aside from that, overall, the, the the pregnancies were the same in terms of, you know, I did get sciatica, I did have heartburn, I did have, well, super hairy babies. Um, and I was generally miserable for all of them as well, to be honest. Um, I I suppose, yeah, I just, I'm just kind of a grumpy pregnant person. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. And I wonder, has that got to do with the male kind of carrying a boy? I wonder, is it the mix of hormones 
Do you know what I mean? I'm always fascinated by the effects of having a girl on, on a, a woman and having a boy and a woman. You know, because you often hear of like that the cravings are different and yeah. the I suppose the size is often different. The girls are generally smaller and then you're adding this kind of the male hormones into your body, which you haven't really experienced before. So I'm, all, I'm always just curious. I wonder, you know what I mean? Does that affect you? In some way. Um, <clears throat> well, no, I mean, for me, I think I always put down the super grumpy pregnant phase to um, I would be quite an active person. And prior to having babies, I would have been like horse riding a lot. Um, yeah. And then as soon as I was pregnant, um, <clears throat> like that all kind of stopped. And that's my um, that's my kind of um, mental health kind of yeah. um, like safety net exactly yeah. yeah so um, when you don't have that and you're you know you're a good couple of months um, with you don't have any of that sort of release and then of course you have your baby then and you're not getting straight back up on a horse no. either um, so for me I think that's probably where it came from um, you're essentially as far as I was kind of seeing is you're you're sacrificing a year and that sounds terribly selfish like but you're sacrificing a year of anything that you want to do yeah. um, and I'm just kind of counting down the days like let's just get this over and done with and you know um, God it's really terrible <laughs> I don't put such a, a you know a rosy picture on the pregnancy but um, then but I actually make, love the You do make decisions I suppose for the well-being of you and the baby do you know what I mean It's and, and often it's I can't do that. Or and I notice people out there that go, you you can do everything when you're pregnant. Everything is well, add in a hefty hefty dose of sciatic as well. Yeah. You can't, yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? This was my I would definitely get way more anxious when I'm pregnant. And you know, the the way I could cope with that, I like that I used to be very active, um, go to the gym a lot, and that was my way of releasing the stress and feeling, you know, so much happier. And but then the doubt was like, well, what if you overdo it in the gym and you know, something happens? So I had that weird kind of making a decision of do you, you know, do I continue or reduce the exercise that I was doing or do I just stop? And I just found for me the anguish of worrying about something happening yeah. versus the release. The what if, yeah. It outdid the goodness. So it was like, right, you're just walking and swimming. That's all you're going to do and that you'll just have to make do with that as your release. So yeah, it's... Yeah, you do make decisions on going, what's good for me right now? I also think, like, I I do have one friend who um, used to do, like, powerlifting yeah. practically and stuff while she was pregnant and, yeah. like, well, until she was quite heavily pregnant. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then, like, I was maybe about a month behind her in pregnancy and I was actually struggling to get out of the car because the I had, um, is it, SPD? And yeah. it, was, um, it was painful getting out of the car. And so... You know, you can't compare to no. pregnant women's bodies because um, she was able to power, power mm. lift and it was quite impressively and I was struggling, you know, yeah. going up the stairs and going down the stairs. Um, and I am a very active person, you know, so you just don't know what way no. the pregnancy is going to hit your body, you know. No, not at all. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's totally out of your control. You know, yeah. it's you just got to go with the flow. I and mean, that's I think that's kind of almost like the start of of your life for the next couple of years is the ability to let go. Because you kind of, becoming a mum, you, you know, your timetable is somewhat relaxed. You, you know, you go with the flow of the baby, not your schedule anymore. You know, you're on yeah. two hour, three hour kind of turnarounds. So I suppose, yeah, pregnancy kind of warms you up into that idea of you kind of have to see how things go. Yeah. 
and let things be. Um, so talking about obviously your pregnancies and the toll they took, then postpartum now, three babies later, how is your body, how, how are you kind of recovering from all of that? Um, I would say after my first baby, I um, honestly, I felt like I had been hit by a train. It was, you know, I I took about four months of, I, I was really sore and, it, you know, I just, I felt like an old, I felt like a really old lady. I felt um, like all my joints were hurting. Like I really, um, and it was a fairly straightforward um, labour as well, you know, but I really, like I found it extremely hard to recover from that. And then um, my second baby, um, he was two days old and I was like walking around the park. And I remember actually was in Marley Park again and I remember a lady came over and she goes, oh, how old is your baby? I had him in a little um, like a stretchy wrap. Yeah. And she was, how how old is your baby? And I said, oh, two days. And she was like, what? And I said, oh, yeah, I had him, you know, on, on Monday. Um, and her her daughter had just had a baby and she was like, my daughter's had, well, had a baby three weeks ago and she's still at home. And I'm like, yeah, but... You know, if you had seen me, you know, from my first baby, I can assure you I would have still been in bed. I wouldn't have yeah. even, you know, set foot. But when you have a toddler who's like, mommy, can we go to the park? And um, you just kind of got to go with it. But you do actually, you physically recover so much faster that it's it's unbelievable. Um, <clears throat> and then again, with third baby as well, like straight away, well, I know there's <clears throat> um, paternity leave now and stuff, but um, like straight away you're going back out in the school run again. You yeah. know, you have your baby on your Friday yeah. and, you know, nearly one day you're like, you know, back in the school run. And that's just the way it is. But uh, physically it is so much easier. Um, and the, so the recovery time is much, much quicker. You just kind of get, you know, you just get back to normal. Like you have to. You but have you also, to. you can though. It is it is physically easier, I found anyway. And... With that, with the zero to one, one to two, two to three, what was for you the biggest kind of, I suppose, life shift? Like I always find in my head, I'm like two, you've a hand each or you've kind of a parent each or, you know, to manage them. Three, I'm like, oh my God, you're outnumbered. Yeah, so and I mean, three is kind of, it can be harder to get somebody to mind your kids for a start. Um, it's, you don't, you feel a little bit like you're imposing on someone if you're kind of, you know, when you mind my three kids. Um, I found zero to one the hardest um, in terms of um, just anxiety and stuff. Like I was just worrying the whole time about was I doing this right? And also, you know, all of the kind of unsolicited advice that you yeah. get and you're taking it on board. And I was kind of... Um, like taking the tart as well comments whereas second baby you're just like in one ear out the other absolutely don't care what you know opinions people kind of give me about stuff like that so that all makes it easier um, but in time, terms of life um, for myself I suppose when my um, when my first baby was about 18 months I you, you really feel like you're getting your life back together again yes, and I was do. like back at horse riding and I was out doing competitions and I was doing things like that um, and that was when I, I felt like I was kind of getting me back and then I was pregnant again and that all went out the window um, and then I suppose with number two I did try really hard to get back to that when he was around the same age but it was just a little bit harder for you know um, just getting someone to mind the two children um, so then honestly, after number three, I have, haven't really got to that point yet. Um, so he's, uh, Frankie is, is just, it's two and a bit. Um, and I kind of have to hope that 
you know, summertime is my time now. I'm going to start kind of getting things back to me for me a little yeah. bit. Um, so I suppose it's it does get a little bit harder in, in that way. But I just keep saying to myself, they're all going to be in school soon. And, you know, it's it's definitely I have to start. You also have to learn as well to force yourself to allow a little bit of me time. Yeah. Um, so when Frankie started um, pre-Montessori in January, I, you know, I had a couple of free hours in the morning and I was saying to myself I can either spend that working really really hard and get loads done in two and a half hours or I had kind of said to myself like I'm going to force myself to do something for me so I started doing doing walks up the mountains and things like that but it's really hard to stick with that because you're like but I have two hours that I could get so much done and you know and all of a sudden I was kind of I've noticed myself you know I just just today I'll just do work today and um it's hard to because you're so out of the habit of doing something for you. It's yeah. everything's always just work, work. You know, looking after the kids. Um, so it's something I'm working on at the moment is trying to force myself to have remind myself how to have a bit of time for myself. Um, and I, I mean, we all deserve it as well. Like after so many years of, yeah. you know, um, it's we're so used to not putting ourselves first that I think you need to retrain yourself yes. to say, you know what, I deserve a couple of hours. Um, to just do something for me and be selfish for two hours, because you know? it's always like the housework, the washing, the everything. Yeah, it's always going to be there. It's I always there's some days where I'm like I'll get on top of it, and you never will. And you just don't. <laughs> um, and I don't know who creates more washing, my husband with everything covered in sand and salt, or Alice. I honestly don't know between them. Um, so yeah, you never get through it. I think there was one weekend my husband was away, and I actually got to the bottom of the laundry and oh, I actually they always have like, to be away they always have to be away to do it yeah <laughs> I felt like I should have gotten a medal <laughs> yeah <laughs> then they ruin it all by coming home yeah, yeah. <laughs> sense of achievement I was like oh my god I don't think this is ever all of the baskets are empty yeah um, so apart you were talking there again about you know you're getting time to yourself or, or work so you are self-employed with your own business mm-hmm. that's My Cotton Drawer yeah. which is an eco-sustainable uh, store, but there's a big focus on I suppose family needs of trying to be sustainable within the store. Yeah, so there'll be a big, um, a big, fo- a big sh- like lean towards um, baby and parenting, um, uh, you know, sustainability uh, items. So the like one of the biggest things that um, like as a parent, you need to find something that you need to find products and stuff that you feel is helping you, you know, parent. But you don't want to be buying a whole pile of you know, wasteful junk that you don't actually need. Um, but at the same time, you want to try and make your parenting um, life as easy as possible. So it's trying to find the balance between, you know, things that will will make life a little bit easier, but things that aren't going to be um, damaging, you know, to, to the environment. Um, so, yeah, so there would be a good, strong focus towards um, the kind of parenting and the baby, the baby aspect of the sustainability Um so one of the big things, obviously, then is cloth nappies. Yes. Which I was trying to convince you before about. Um, yeah, so the cloth nappies, it's a real one of those ones where um, people people are terrified of it at the start. You yeah. know, um, now I, I actually, so my eldest boy was actually in disposable nappies. Didn't know any different. Um, and at the time, even just, you know, in 2011, there wasn't that much in the media about um, 
you know, climate crisis and all this kind of stuff. Now, I'm sure there were people screaming their heads off about it, but they just weren't being listened to at the time. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't in mainstream media. Um, so I didn't know that. Honestly, I hadn't even considered um, that a, a, a disposable nappy was um, going to be around for 500 years. I just didn't know. I know. It it's... was just one of those things. You, you, your baby poos, you have to have a nappy and I was going to use a disposable nappy. Um, so I suppose where I my eyes opened up to it was um, <clears throat> we have um, pay-by-weight bins the whole time. We've had them for a long time uh, where I'm living. And I never had an issue. I know a lot of people were kind of fighting t- against it. Um, but because I recycle a lot, it, it really wasn't that big a deal for me because my black bin was very light and yeah. it wasn't going out very often. And um, so it wasn't it, it wasn't a big um, impact for me until I had a baby. And then you're literally putting out sack loads of disposable nappies into the, the bin. Straight away, my bin charges were like through the roof. Um, so I started doing a bit of research trying to think, you know, how am I going? Is there a better way to dispose of disposable nappies? Hadn't yeah. even, you know, thought outside the box to think, you know, is there a different option? I just like thought, you know, there must be, you know, I don't even know, was I expecting to find some sort of safe incinerator? I don't know what I was expecting to find, but um, that was the moment that I actually saw that it was going to be 500 years for these nappies to break down. And I was really quite shocked and horrified. Yeah. Um, and the more Googling you do, you're, you know, it was a real eye-opening kind of moment for me. Um, so when I kept looking a little bit further, of course, I saw these modern cloth nappies. Um, now, if you had ever mentioned cloth nappies to me before, um, I would have pictured terries and pins yeah. <clears throat> and all of the stories that you would have ever Scrubbing heard them. was boiling, soaking, <laughs> yeah. all of these awful, you know, um, things that it just sounded, you know, it, it was something that I had never even considered. Um, and honestly, if you were trying to talk me into using terries, I probably wouldn't be that taken by the idea. But anyway, so I saw these modern cloth nappies, which look totally different. Um, they look really straightforward to use. Um, and I thought, you know, this looks like a viable option for me to, to try. So I bought three and I gave them a go and I actually fell in love with them straight away. Um, my husband definitely took a lot more convincing. So even, you know, into that go a couple of years ago, there would have been a bit more of a stigma against cloth nappies. If you use cloth nappies, you're obviously some sort of, you know, hippie or, you know, it was this, my husband was like, you know, this this is this is a step too far. You know, we don't need to use cloth nappies. And um, anyway, so he's an accountant. And so I knew I would convince him when we get down to the figures. So what I, I did was every husband's heart. <laughs> yes, <laughs> figures. Yeah. So he was like, "No, no, we're not. We're not these people. We don't need to use cloth nappies." And I'm like, "No, no, hang on a second. So I was using up the end of the last few disposable nappies that we we had, and I weighed one of them. Now I did cheat slightly because I got um, the first nappy in the morning, so it was quite a oh, heavy yeah. one. Yeah, I just had to, you know. <laughs> but um, it was three. It was three hundred grams. And so I think at the time the bin charges were, it was 20 cent a kilo. So I was like, well, that's six cent. That doesn't even include the fact that um, the bin was going, you had to pay for the lift as well yes. with the bin. So the bin was going out twice as often. Um, so it was, you know, it was like, it was minimum six cent per nappy to dispose of. So my husband was like, okay, I'll, he was a little bit more open to the idea of, um, of trying them, you know, kind of full time. 
So we did eventually, I, you know, I went gung-ho, decided I was going to use cloth nappies full time. And straight away, as soon as um, those bin charges were coming in, they were half straight away. So that was my little I told you so moment to my husband. I was like, yeah. you know, this aside from the cost of buying the disposable nappies, yeah. you were saving action in the disposal. Yeah. yeah. And I know there are some maybe people living in apartments and that and maybe the, the bin, the bins are maybe um like covered by a maintenance fee or whatever. Yeah. So that would kind of, so a few people have said kind of, well, that wouldn't really, the cost wouldn't be an issue. Um, but I suppose it's also, it's like, it's the realisation that, like if you think there's 50,000 babies, say mm-hmm. minimum born in Ireland every year, and if they're using maybe seven or eight nappies a day, and they're in nappies for like two and a half, three years, you're talking 400 million nappies yeah. in Ireland. Um, so even... Like even if you're not going to be saving on the bin charges, you are going to be saving on the purchasing of the nappies all the time. Yeah, because you can use the same nappies on subsequent children as well. Um, now, if but you as well the cost, you know, it mightn't be within our lifetime, but the cost of the environmental impact that they will eventually have on your baby. Yeah, so when that baby's twenty, like we don't know what the environment's going to look like or what the pollution is going to look like at that point. So. Yeah, there are so many factors of why we need and as much as we can to move. And actually, um, I love following Joe Wicks on Instagram. Yeah. I don't know if you follow yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I think um, for kind of like, would you call him an influencer? I suppose to a point, I think he's just kind of doing his own thing. But they use cloth nappies. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. And what I liked about him was the kind of relaxed. He was like, do you know what? If we use the nappy you know for even half the day aren't yeah. we saving on four or five nappies and I was like yeah actually you can integrate it into you know if you are worried or you kind of go oh I might be out and how does that work and uh, I was like okay Joe you know there is a way of saving if you want to have the flexibility of every both. single one that you use you're saving one from going into landfill yeah I mean you rather than thinking of it the other way and all of the ones that you're you know not saving and um, yes it's even because what can happen as well is um, like some crashes um, and Montessori, like when you kind of at the stage where you're kind of going back to work, if your child is going into like crash, sometimes a crash can be quite difficult about, um, depending on them, they can be a little bit stubborn about cloth nappies. Mm-hmm. So there would be a lot of people that would feel like, look, there's no point in me trying cloth nappies because my child's going to be in crash. Yeah. I don't want to be that parent in, you know, fighting with the crash about using cloth nappies. Um, so even like what I would say to those parents is even if you only are using two cloth nappies a day, say maybe when you get home in the evening and then before you go to you put your baby to bed, that's still going to be 2,000 nappies that you save from landfill over the course of that baby being in nappies. Yeah. You know, and it really does add up. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that what is what can put a lot of people off. Yeah. I mean, I won't pretend that I use cloth nappies all the time. Um, I actually, um, I did when I started, you kind of get a bit... Um, like I was really gung ho, I was never going to use a disposable nappy again. Um, and I went on holidays and I brought cloth nappies with me on holidays and about 50% of my suitcase was actually, you know, cloth nappies. And um, I did I did it once and honestly, I didn't do it again because I was like, you know, it's it's two weeks of my life. It's, yeah. you know, um, so um, I know there'll be other people that would be horrified. There'll be real kind of a cloth nappy, uh, 100% people that would say, oh, that's terrible, you know. 
I'm think you know what I did try it and it didn't work for me on yeah. holidays. Um, I I like to pack super light, and um, so I would intend to actually go on holidays and buy nappies over there because I don't want half my suitcase full of nappies, whether or not they're disposable or yeah. um, cloth. Um, so yeah, so I think there's times when, you know, being honest, like you might want to use disposable nappies or, you know, if maybe if your baby had a tummy bug or something and um, yes. things like that, yeah. th- those be times that maybe people might um, decide that, you know, having a few disposable nappies there is fine. But every time you use a cloth nappy, you're literally saving one from going into landfill and something to be proud of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, OK, I have some very basic <laughs> that you're going to be like, this is a ridiculous question, Pamela. Um, OK, so at what age can you start using cloth nappies like can cloth nappies go on newborns you can um, I actually I sell so the nappies generally go into two sizes so okay. you would have a newborn nappy which would be from about zero to maybe about four weeks between now the different brands will give you different age guidelines and um, personally speaking I found that at about one month of age sometimes some of them will say up till um, eight weeks but really, it depends on if you have a chubby baby, they're going to grow out of yeah. the nappy much quicker. Um, and then the next size nappy is usually called a one size nappy. Um, now, they would call that. It's also sometimes called a birth to potty nappy, which is a little bit misleading because it's actually, um, I wouldn't say birth when, you know, their legs yeah. are so skinny when they come out. So yeah. I would say a newborn nappy would be safe for the first month, give or take. Okay. And then um, a one size nappy would be from maybe one or two months of age onwards, up until about three. Okay. So you've got poppers at the front that you can um, size it up or down. Um, so I do sell both sizes, but I would, if you were buying one or the other, I would actively encourage you to go for a one size nappy. Yeah. Um, because if you had a baby that was, you know, £10 and you don't know until, you yeah. know, the last while, like you're only going to get a week or two out of a newborn nappy. Um, whereas if you actually just use disposables, maybe for the first, you know, a few little, weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then move them straight into a one size nappy. Aside from that, I mean, you might have uh, like a traumatic birth and mm-hmm. um, a few things like, you know, for me personally, the first little while is about survival anyway. Yeah. You know, you're just, you know, or you're, it sounds terrible, but like you're, a, everything goes out the window in terms of you just, I don't care yeah. how many nappies I go through in the next week. I just want to, you know, get past the pain of, you know, delivering a baby and you know things like that and then as you you're recovering and then you're like okay no and now you I get can... more headspace exactly yeah and yeah. you know you don't want to feel like you're kind of killing yourself trying to um yeah. aside from that though so the the newborn nappies they're they're really really cute and they would be lovely like say for photo shoots and things like that and um, if you had a really small baby and you would get much longer out of them yeah um but from a cost point of view you would be much better off just buying you know waiting uh, you know two or three weeks and going straight into a one size nappy okay so you've got the the exterior mm-hmm. which is they're often colorful and patterned yeah the waterproof part yeah okay and then you actually so you buy them and then you need an, an inner layer? So there's <clears throat> there's mainly three different types of okay. the, the, the main ones. So generally you would have a pocket nappy, an all-in-one um, nappy or an all-in-two nappy. Now the one you're talking... So this is how it's broken up on your website, isn't okay. it? Because I, yeah. I was like, I can figure this out. Okay. So the one you're talking about where you would have a separate waterproof cover and then you would have a separate... Um, 
uh, absorbent insight part. Yeah. But that's an all in tune appy. Okay. Um, that's probably not the most straightforward one to kind of start off with. Okay. Um, the other two then you have a like a pocket nappy or an all in one nappy, and that's essentially the um. The, when you buy it, you get a waterproof outer and um, the pocket nappy has a little pocket in it where you put absorbent inserts into it. Or an all-in-one nappy is the waterproof cover and you've got the inserts sewn onto it. Okay. So, they, I mean, pocket nappy personally, they're the ones I, I actually bought for you as a as a, as a tester. Um, they would be the ones that would be most like a disposable nappy. So they would be the best ones for somebody trying out at the start. Yeah. So you can't go wrong with those really because literally when you put the inserts into the nappy it looks just like a disposable nappy except for it's not disposable and it's got poppers instead of Velcro. Yeah. Or sorry, yeah, yeah the little kind of Velcro tabs. Um, so that that's a pocket nappy. So a pocket nappy and an all-in two or an all-in-one nappy they're virtually the same except for the inserts are attached on one and the inserts aren't attached on the other. So with the pocket nappy you take it off the baby every time, the whole thing every time, and it's into the wash. Yeah, okay. And the, with an all-in-one nappy, the whole thing off in one as well. Yeah. So where it gets a little bit different then is, and I think this is where people can get a little bit overwhelmed. An all-in-two nappy, they are two totally separate components, really. Yeah. So you can buy the waterproof covers on their own, and then you can essentially put anything you like into it that is absorbent. Um, and then if your baby has just done a wee, you can take out the absorbent inner and you can replace it. Yeah. Um, now, some people prefer that because um, there's benefits to to all of them, really. Um, I like to use an all-in-two nappy at night time because obviously night time you're trying to get longer out of the nappy. Mm-hmm. So you can add in loads of extra layers into the nappy okay. and you could, you know, if you have a baby that miraculously sleeps for 12 hours, you don't need to worry about it. That's going to last. Um, whereas personally, I don't really like them for daytime because they're quite bulky. Um, whereas, uh, so an all-in-one nappy would be a much slimmer nappy. So when you're, if your toddler's running around in, you want to actually be able to get the tracksuit bottoms or over. trousers actually <laughs> over the nappy. Yeah. So personally, I would recommend an all-in-two nappy for say nighttime. Okay. Where the nappy is going to be bigger, it's going to be bulkier. Yeah. Um, there's a variety of different things that you can put into the nappy. Um, now. Few people would actually disagree with me in that, and the reason why they would prefer an all in two nappy is they feel like they would be saving on washing. Yeah. But I don't personally see that you are saving on washing because the bulky part is the absorbent part anyway. Like the um, the waterproof cover, it takes up very, very little space in the washing machine anyway. What's taking up the space in the washing machine is the absorbent bit that you're going to have to change each time anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's just my personal you know, um, there's other people that will, you know, also maybe just because I have like extra active boys or I don't know, but when you are using a, an all-in-two nappy, um, they can be a little bit more fiddly as well in terms of when you've got a boy that wants to, you know, turn over and crawl off midway mm-hmm. through a nappy change, yeah. you don't need to be trying to reassemble a nappy essentially while they're crawling off on you. Yeah. Um, so I have found the likes of a pocket nappy, you can pop it on much quicker and it's kind of done and if they crawl off then they crawl off that's fine you know Um, so that would be just my own personal experience about and okay so just say you are you're going with the the one size yeah Um, how many do you need 
if you wanted to never ever use and as I said before it doesn't have to be all or nothing so um when as soon as I give you this figure, you're going to be horrified, and um, because they are expensive as well, and um, you know, relatively speaking, um, well, the initial outlay, exactly, the yeah. initial outlay, but obviously, then once the you shock. have them, you know, you're not. It's you not have like, them once. It's yeah. a one-off purchase. Yeah, yeah exactly. Especially because the fact that you're going for a one-size nappy, it is a one-off purchase. Um, but the initially, it really depends on how fast you can turn over the nappies. Mm-hmm. So people would generally say about 24 nappies would be a comfortable amount if you had, say, you had eight nappies ready to use today. Okay. And you have eight nappies in the wash and then you might have eight nappies out in the line. That would yeah. be the kind of way that that would give you, you're not under pressure. To, you can, you know, you're not thinking, oh God, I need to put a nappy wash on now. So 24 would be a, a good, comfortable amount for full-time use. You can totally get away with less um, and still do it full-time. Yeah. You would just need to turn over the nappies quicker. Um, if you live in a warm house or during the summer, you can turn over the nappies so fast during yeah. the summer. Um, actually, during the winter, it's not too bad either because you have the heat on in the house. Yeah. The problem is actually spring and autumn where it's um, not really warm enough outside, but it's not really cold enough to have the heat on. So you would probably actually find that the spring and the autumn would be the ones where... Um, it takes a little bit longer. And can you put them in dryers or do you have to air dry? You can put them in tumble dryers. Um, okay. Now, there might be one or two brands that might recommend not doing it. Um, but generally speaking, you can um, tumble so dry you, them low. you, you know, were, you forgot to put on a wash and you're like, I'm out of nappies and you don't have disposables at home or you're like, yeah, do you know you what? You stick them in the tumble you dryer. You stick them in the dryers. Yeah, okay. that's no, no problem. Now, if you did it consistently, now obviously there's, um, you, you don't want to be doing that because you're kind of minimising your environmental yeah. savings there. Um, but if you um, use the tumble dryer consistently every time, you would find, you would age the nappies a little bit quicker. As you would the clothes. Exactly. Just general yeah. clothes. So just yeah. if you want your nappies to, if you want to use your nappies on like loads of kids, then I, I wouldn't be kind of tumble drying them. Yeah. Um, but definitely, yeah, every now and again, um, I would do that. But do you know what? I actually, I don't have a tumble dryer um, in my house. And what I got last year was a dehumidifier. And it's unbelievable. It's like a game changer in terms of, I just got one in Lidl. And it um, so if you have the the clothes hanging in a like a small room like utility room, yeah. and you stick on the dehumidifier and you go back in and there's like a, a bucket of water. That's yeah, yeah it's unbelievable. So um, it's yeah, even if you don't have a tumble dryer, there's kind of ways around it as well. And actually, I and I need to follow. I should ask her how she's getting on with it. Kathy Milliken, um, Bump Baby and Beyond on Instagram. She bought this heated air, and it actually has like a little. Um, it's called a jacket that goes over to keep the heat in. Okay. And I'm kind of fascinated by it because I'm like... Are the poles heated? Yeah, I think... I th- I'm i not not totally sure, but okay. I, I get the impression that maybe they are. I think for cloth nappies, um, if it is, I have heard of a few people with the the errors that are the heated poles essentially that you're hanging the clothes on um, and they wouldn't necessarily be recommended because you're putting the nappies onto direct heat um, so that could damage the, the nappies the, and the yeah, outer kind of exactly the, yeah. the waterproof area or even um, it's just not recommended to have them directly on directly heat directly on heat so like in the tumble dryer you could have them on a, a low heat but um, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't um, put them on so you wouldn't be sticking them on heater either then either depends some of the, if you were using an all in two nappy um, and you just had like a because in an all-in-two nap you could put in um, cotton terry toweling if you wanted to because you can literally put anything that you want that's absorbent into it 
you could put that onto it. But any of the bits where you have like elastics or any of the waterproof section, I wouldn't be putting on um, the radiator or even um, you're not supposed to put bamboo either. Um, it's not good for um, any any of your bamboo clothing or that. It, um, it's not it's not recommended okay. to have on direct heat. So is there anything else though about cloth nappies that you'd have to consider? So if you're out and about for a day, you would just bring the same, you'd probably bring, what, four or five, six, depending on, I suppose, how long you're out of the house, in your baby changing bag with you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, cloth nappies are bulkier. So, well, you probably wouldn't be going around with, with um, it depends. If it's, I mean, six is probably a bit of a stretch. Like, you yeah. know, when you're going around with a disposable nappy, you're kind of, you can grab a handful of them and that would be six. Whereas with cloth nappies, they are bulkier. But if you were out for 10 hours, you know, really four nappies should... Um, do you? should do it and okay. um, you'd put those in you'd have a baby changing bag mm-hmm. you'd have your four nappies and then you would have what's called a wet bag yeah so okay. the wet bags yeah it's just waterproof um, bag essentially and it's the same fabric that's that that's what the um, the outer waterproof layer on the nappy is it's the same it's exactly the same fabric but the um, the wet bags have a zip so if you put a dirty nappy into the wet bag and you zip it up you won't be getting any smell of like you're not going. You're not walking around with this stinky, pooey bag. You know, yeah. it's like it's completely sealed. And um, now, some people like to double bag it as well. In terms of, um, if you want to really, you know, um, if you're really dealing with a really bad nappy. Um, but then when you get home, so you have the dirty nappy in the in the wet bag, and you can literally turn the whole thing inside out, put it into the washing machine, and it, um, like you wash the wet bag with the with nappy. It. Yeah, because it's the okay. same fabric anyway. And um, obviously, you want to remove the poo before you stick it in the washing machine. Um, so that's where you would use a liner if you, um, because a thing that puts a lot of people off is they're thinking, I don't poo going into my. Um, this is what this was actually my husband Ben's question. He was like, What, what do you do poo? with the pooing yeah, nappies? Do no. you like rinse them? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so um, basically, like um, the, you can use a liner if your baby's doing big mushy poos. You yeah. can use a liner, um, which basically filters out the poo. It's a biodegrad. It's usually a biodegradable liner. It looks a bit like um, a disposable baby wipe. It's just kind yeah. of, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a transparent almost um, rectangle. Um, so that filters the poo. So the wee goes straight through that to the yeah. nappy. But the poo is sitting on top of that. So okay. you can bin that. So you're just always left with... So you're in the wet- bathroom or the changing area. So essentially you can put... The- Part you can put the pooey part of it where you would put a disposable nappy. You're yeah. just getting into the pooey part. So you're not actually carrying around poo. Even. No. <laughs> no, not a bag full of poo. Um, the, or you're not going home, which was in my head. I was like, you must bring it home and then you must rinse it somewhere. And I was like, that doesn't sound very hygienic. You know, I was trying to... Yeah, so that's a, that is the solution so to that. Yeah, so aligners. You pee, I mean, if you have um, a baby, that none of my babies ever were solid poo babies, but I do have friends that claim their babies do solid poos all the time. <laughs> and they can actually, like, basically plop the toilet, the poo yes, into the toilet, the toilet and flush it. And you're just left with a, you know, a, a virtually just a wet yeah. nappy. But when they're very young anyway... It, they're quite loose. Yeah. So, so you, a liner you would, 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 would solve that. Yeah. Um, now, not everybody uses them, um, you know, and they're happy enough to, to kind of deal with cleaning the poo off. But if you want to make your life as easy as possible, yeah. Um, and the tra- certainly in a transition to cloth nappies, you want yeah. to, you know, uh, introduce yourself kind of softly. Um, I would use a disposable liner um, and that just make, make things so easy. Okay. 
it's not that frightening, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The disposable liners, yeah, they're they're the game changer really. Um now the thing is when you are um another thing then as well, of course, is the baby wipes. Yeah. So what happens I know. is people change to a cloth nappy and then they're still using disposable baby wipes and you have to separate the dis- disposable yeah. the disposable baby wipes from the cloth nappy and you're like, This doesn't make sense. So usually after a while people are like, Okay, talk to me about um cloth baby wipes. Um, and so what you would do there is um, it, it's the same thing really like so the um, the poo would be on the um, when you're when you're changing the nappy if the nappy's really really like a big manky kind of you know nappy um, you can kind of like get the worst of it off onto off, the liner yes. and then you're still just left with your you know, the baby wipes the cloth baby wipes are only used to really kind of freshen up the bum really okay. um, rather than taking off kind of yeah. chunks of poo Um the, uh, really, the, the disposal liner is the way to go, definitely, for in terms of um, of, of clean up. And presumably, then you just wash those wipes as yeah. you would. So the wipes and the nappies would go into the washing machine. Yeah. Um, you would now. When I was saying to you about a pocket nappy, you would take the inserts out of the pocket nappy, so yeah. they get a chance to clean properly. And um, you put them all into the washing machine. You would do um, a cold rinse cycle first, okay? Because a hot wash sets stains. Um, and that's for any kind of clothing or you know we're learning a lot here today I didn't know this myself <laughs> either for um, my first baby so do you know if your baby has a little bit you know if they're in disposable nappies they tend to leak a little yeah. bit more and you might get a little bit of poo on the edge of the baby grow don't put that straight into a hot wash Um but the, I so, feel now I've been baking stains onto all these clothes. <laughs> yeah, no, I did it too. I did it too. Um, so you do a cold rinse cycle first. Okay. Number one, that will stop the stains from setting. And number two, it will get out rid of most of the wee out of, you don't want to be have your nappies in a three hour wash. Yeah. And it's just a big pile of wee going around. So all washing machines have a 20 minute, well, around a 20 minute cold rinse cycle. When you put that on with no detergent, when you open the door, the nappies smell of nothing. Like at that point, everything's gone out of it anyway. Yeah. But um, then I would add in a scoop of scoop of regular detergent, no fabric softener, and you can wash at either forty or sixty degrees, and that's job done. That's the nappies clean. Okay. Um, so there's none of this like soaking and boiling and yeah. all these kind of crazy things. Or um, you don't need to be adding like an antibacterial liquid. No. Um, it's all... If you're concerned about um, now. Technically, the recommendation is to wash at 60 degrees. Okay. Um, I personally wash mine at 40 and my nappies are, are totally fine. It would be if um, my baby had a tummy bug or something like yeah. that. You think, OK, you know, I might Just need to kill off bacteria. Exactly. Um, if you wash at 60, you're killing off the bacteria anyway. Yeah. You don't need to you don't need to worry about um, like a um, what are they called? Like a bleach kind of thing or, you know, they use yeah. laundry ble- bleaches and that. Um, you don't need to use any of that. Um, so a 60 degree wash would do that. I personally wouldn't use a 60 degree wash every time, but technically it is recommended. Okay. Um, I'm just a little bit old school. I like 40 degree watches. Um, I just feel like, I don't know, it's just, it's kind of habit. Um, but then your, your nappies are clean then after that. Yeah. Um, you can either stick them out in the washing line or you can line dry them. Um, if you had a stubborn stain that didn't come out of your nappies and you want them to be clean, like really at the end of the day, nobody's going to see the stain. Yeah. But some people, like, and I was, I'm was, i a bit like that too. I, I, I'm i like, this stain needs to go. Um, and actually sunlight. And same with your baby grows. If you've baby grows that have little poo stains on them, don't bother with any vanish or any of that stuff. You're totally wasting your time. Stick it out in the daylight. Doesn't matter if it's winter time or anything like that. Sunlight will eventually get rid of the stain. Um, 
it's even I did an experiment with it when I first discovered that and yeah. I actually um, even if you had um, something put it on the window ledge in your house and if you cover half of it with maybe a book or something and you have the other half out and you know the next day you will go and you will see a line down the middle where one side is white and the other side is the stained bit and I mean I was like 30 so it's almost naturally kind of bleaching exactly out. yeah but that's even with any of your like if you've got um, yeah. any clothes that are you know um, anything like that it just always try before you go the chemical down the chemical route just always try the sunlight and sometimes my like I've left you know maybe a, a, a baby grow out in the washing line for you know two or three days and you go out and it's like sparkling white it doesn't have to be sun- sunny it's just literally daylight um, now I look at those neighbours that I've always gone why are all their whites out in the middle of winter there you go now you know why <laughs> oh, they, they have this like inside track on how to get the clothes really yeah, white yeah that's it <laughs> So we're coming to that time in the episode where I have to ask you three questions. Okay. What would you tell your pregnant self? Um, I would tell my pregnant self to learn how to say no. So, you know, when you get probably coming back to the maybe the grumpy pregnant me, but when you're heavily pregnant and, you know, you feel like I'm a type of person I don't like saying no to people and I'm, I'm kind of always doing things for, you know, you need to learn to just get selfish for a little while. Um, and I know that sounds terrible, but it's the one time in your life where you can be selfish and actually selfish in terms of like you and your baby um, and get away with it. Um, I found when I had my first baby, literally everybody wants to come and visit. And I found the first couple of weeks very hard because um, you have people like every day you'd have a new visitor and you're trying to figure out how to breastfeed you have all these awkward, like this audience don't know where to look when you're trying yeah. to, you know, um, and you're, you know, I find that really hard. And I think um, if I could say to my pregnant self before having my first baby, just learn to say no. Do you know what? I'm not up for visitors for a couple of weeks. You know, leave me be. They Visitors don't come so much for your second baby. And then for your third baby, you barely get a text to kind of say, <laughs> oh, congrats, I heard you had a baby. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so my pregnant self, I'd say just learn to say no and say, you know, if things, if if you're not um, in the headspace for, you know, going somewhere or doing something or whatever, just say no. Do you know what? I'm just, you're growing a baby. And, you know, just learn yeah. to say no and just do your, do your, what you feel is right for you. And then especially in the early days then as well, when you've had your baby, just say no. It's all about you and your baby and... Nobody else really be my kind of um, my take on it. And what one product could you not live without? Um, now I would say comfortable bra. So when um, when I had my first baby, I thought maybe I will give breastfeeding a go for a couple of weeks. I couldn't justify spending you know sixty euro on a good bra because it's probably going to be you know a waste of time. Um, and here now, like nearly nine years later, still breastfeeding, I'm like, I should have invested in the good bra. <laughs> um, but I did actually, I've tried a few. So finally, after my third baby, I said, you know what, I'm going to actually buy those nice bras for myself. Um, and I did get nice nursing bras. But there's one now that I um, discovered recently. Um, and it's a belly bandit BDA. It's before, during, after. And you can actually nurse in it. Um, but it's it's just so comfortable around the band. Like I I find it um, for bras, if they're usually either uncomfortable around the band and then they give you support or they're comfortable around the, ba- the band and they don't give you support. And I just hate that sensation of not having kind of both. So I would say a comfortable bra and don't be afraid to, you know, treat yourself to, you know, I, I have bought so many 
cheapy ones. Yeah. You know, over the thinking, oh, well, I might only be breastfeeding for another month or two. And, you know, do you know, if I could go back in time, I would have got those good bras from day one and just, you know, and, and do that. So comfortable bra, something I, I can't live without. I love it. <laughs> and what has been your magic moment? The magic moments for me have come from literally the simplest of things. So for me, I mean, the most recent magic moment, I would say, um, with simple things like, you know, I was on a little beach in Court Sherry and I actually think it was even raining, but it was just this moment where the three kids were not fighting like cats and dogs and we were all kind of um, just playing in the sand, you know, and it was actually November, rainy winter's day. I think it was quite windy as well. And for whatever reason, it was just one of those moments where you think this is actually what it's all about. This is what it's all for. But the thing that all of those magic moments have in common, of course, is they were all really simple moments that didn't cost anything because they were either, you know, in a in a forest, in a woodland with the kids or on a beach. And they were all at times when I might have not had my phone with me. The kids didn't have the iPad. It was really just a traditional kind of a kid's day where what we would have maybe experienced when we were children. Yeah. And it's only when you realise yeah, if you can just leave the the phones and the iPads and stuff at home and just go and just be... And sometimes it can be quite hard to readjust back to that, but that, yeah. those are the moments. So for me, my magic moments have been moments like that. They're not always that easy to kind of recreate. They just kind of happen themselves and it's only when you sit back and you kind of... You, you take a deep breath, you think, OK, this, this is what it's all about. This is why we're doing all we do from day to day is to have, you know, this family time together, you know. Yeah. So get rid of the the iPads and the... Distractions. Yes, yeah. Aoife, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me, uh, for sharing your personal stories, but also sharing so much knowledge that you have on sustainability, in particular wearing the cloth nappies, because there's kind of, I suppose, when you are trying to get into it and figure it all out, I kind of thought... The easiest way is probably someone talking it out with you. So thank you for coming in and giving me the time to share your knowledge with me and for all the listeners that will be considering getting into Claude Nappies to how easy it is and the difference it's going to make long term. Thanks a million for having me. Thanks. And if you have any other questions or, you know, just, just fire away and, um, you know, over the next couple of weeks when you're trying them out, just give me a shout and I can help you out. Thank you. And if anyone wants to follow Aoife, it's at my cotton drawer on Instagram. Yeah. And she's got her online store with the same URL. Thank you for listening to today's episode of For All Mumkind. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review or subscribe. If you would like to send me a message, please email forallmumkind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram and see you on the next episode of the podcast. <laughs>